know, I've always been of the opinion that we should just be clear about what sex somebody is, but say that, you know, your sex isn't going to be, doesn't determine your fate. You know, you can still be a masculine female and you can be a feminine male and we should just expand our notion of what it means to be a man or a woman. Hello everyone, my name is Stephen Parton and you're listening to Society in Question, where we take a nuanced exploration of the biological, social, and cultural forces that are shaping the human condition. Today my guest is Colin Wright, who is an evolutionary biologist and the managing editor at Quillette an online magazine dedicated to exploring free thought. Colin's particular emphasis of late and the focus of this episode center heavily on the sex and gender debate that is currently dominating the social justice zeitgeist. And for us, that means exploring the legal and cultural ramifications of those who seek to step outside of society's traditional definitions of male and female. Now, I'm extremely aware that this is a sensitive and taboo issue for many people. And I want to be clear before we get into it that I absolutely do not condone in any way, shape, or form any kind of transphobia or hate towards anyone based on their gender or sex or how they identify. And while I knew beforehand that Colin doesn't condone such hate either, after this conversation, it's even more clear to myself, and I hope it's very obvious to you, that he really does carry a true sense of compassion, empathy, and good intentions into this very controversial area. And while I realize that some of you may hear this preface and think that it's either unnecessary or that it doesn't excuse what you might still find to be quite insensitive, I nonetheless think it's very important to lay out this moral stance in the beginning so that you really understand where we're coming from. And with that being said, let's go ahead and jump into it. Everyone, please welcome to Society in Question, Colin Wright. So to start, let's just go ahead and get the important things out of the way. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what some of your interests are these days? Yeah, so um, my background is in evolutionary biology, and I don't know how many of your viewers or listeners know um, I was an academic scientist until around 2000, uh, let's see, 2020 is when I left academia. I was um, a postdoc at Penn State. Uh, I'd started writing about issues in sex and gender because I saw a lot of people on social media sort of talking about how there's five sexes or sex is a spectrum or a social construct. And so I just, I had a, a kind of a history of just arguing against what I saw as like anti-biology pseudoscience. I, you know, I used to write about um, why intelligent design wasn't, uh, you know, a science or I'd argue against creationists. And I just saw this as sort of coming from a similar place, even though it's like a different group of people talking about it. And so I started speaking up about this. There was certain campaigns to try to smear my name. Uh, I eventually ended up leaving academia of my own accord. You know, people say I was uh, canceled or they claim that I, that I claimed that I was canceled, even though uh, I know I left on my own just because I thought, you know, the well had been poisoned pretty well and it might be more difficult for me to get a job. And so fortunately, Claire over at uh, uh, Quillette picked me up as an editor and I've been an editor with them ever since. I now get to pretty much talk about these issues uh, full-time, you know, as I'm editing for Quillette. And then I have a sub stack called Reality's Last Stand that I 
uh, need to update more frequently, but it's um, it talks a lot about the sex and gender debate and people, you know, denying biological sex in place of gender identity. Uh, I have a few other old projects currently writing a book as well on the topic. So I'm basically doing this type of stuff full time. And again, it's just biological sex, uh, gender ideology, where these things kind of seem to come into conflict and what are the consequences for that for not only a certain individuals, but for society as a whole. So that's kind of what my main focus is at this point. So do you think the attraction then to the the sex and gender, let's call it just controversy really, is the fact that you just have that educational background and coming in to see this mainstream, I guess, refusal of what you saw as like a scientific truth? Like, is that what attracted to you was just having your truth come up against this cultural zeitgeist? Yeah. I mean, I've also often thought about like what causes me to get uh, obsessed with certain issues at any given moment. And I actually got into evolutionary biology as a profession um, because of my old battles with creationist and intelligent design proponents back in the, you know, the early two or the late 2000s, early 2010s. I just had argued with them. I think that, you know, if people are denying evolutionary biology, well, this is like a fundamental component of our biology. And if you're saying that, you know, we were all just created you know, by fiat one time 10,000 years ago, you're going to get a lot of things wrong about human behavior and you're not going to be able to predict what we're doing. So much is going to not make any sense from a, any position that is not taking into account our evolutionary history. And so it's, it's that, that denial of a fundamental aspect of our, of our biology and the consequences of that, not just for your life and how you uh, engage with others, but, you know, as a society, like where, where does a society go that is denying this is completely fundamental aspect of our human nature and the causes for that. Uh, so that was what I thought was really important at the time. And I think it was, uh, but there wasn't really a consequence for me speaking up about those things because the people who disagreed with me largely were, you know, um, conservative Christians. They didn't really have a, a strong presence in academia. I mean, it just, uh, it tends to lean, lean left. And so I got nothing but, you know, thumbs up from my colleagues, you know, writing blogs and battling people on, online uh, <laughs> about, about these issues. And then I saw sort of, as I mentioned earlier, friends and other people, even colleagues that I had who have PhDs in biology, were really starting to talk about how, you know, sex is a social construct, maybe there's five sexes, maybe, uh, you know, sex is a, is a spectrum. And there's like an infinite number of sexes or you get to you know decide what sex you are that things like that and i think that's what i saw is uh it, it really just sort of ticked that same box for me as people are denying a fundamental aspect of human biology that is going to have enormous consequences on the individual and societal level <laughs> and so uh I, I was having a hard time focusing on my own work because it was like why am i because I, I studied ant behavior wasp behavior social spider behavior and it's just like, why am I bothering with this type of stuff if half of my students in my class are gonna be confused about, you know, what a male and a female are. Maybe they think that there's, these are just not even real categories. So yeah, I just sort of got obsessed with this particular issue and it's only gotten worse since then. Uh, there is some pushback that's mounting against it, which is good, but it's still, it's, I think it's, it's still yet to completely uh, blow up and reach its peak. Yeah. What, what do you, what do you think the consequences are? Like some, some people would argue, um, and even myself at times, I mean, in full honesty, I think sometimes 
there's this thought of like, who really cares, right? Who, why, why are we spending so much time debating this topic? Like, what are the actual cultural implications? And can't we just let people decide to identify however they want? Obviously, there's a lot of reasons that it's not that simple, but what in your mind are some of those reasons? What are some of the like implications and consequences of this, um, you know, refusal to accept uh, sex as a, a, a more of a binary construct or a binary fact in reality? Yeah. So there had been sort of a history, I would say, in, in feminism that would sort of deny that there's any differences between the behaviors or personalities or uh, um, preferences that males and females have, that this was all sort of the result of socialization. And if we can just stop, you know, uh, treating males and females differently from an early childhood that they would, you'd see equal representation in fields like, you know, theoretical physics and engineering, as well as nursing, uh, and, and other fields that are typically dominated by females right now. And I think just that's a fun fundamentally wrong way to look at things. I think we, when, we, when you look at humans, you see that we exhibit the same types of behaviors that a sexually dimorphic species that, you know, that we see in other mammals. And this notion that we have somehow, you know, that we're sexually dimorphic, uh, yet our behavior is the result of socialization. I mean, you'd have to just hypothesize that, you know, we've, our lineage in particular has inexplicably lost all of these behaviors that we see in our closest primate ancestors and mammals more generally, only to have completely like recapitulated these same exact patterns, you know, due to socialization. Um, that, that's just such a, a wild coincidence. And I think if we're gonna, if we're gonna ignore the fact that males and females on average, uh, have different types of preferences um, uh, or attracted to different types of professions. You know, we're, we're always going to be going back to this notion that, you know, why don't we see as many female engineers and we're going to, you know, do, say that that's due to sexism or something when it's clearly not. I mean, we should always be vigilant to if there are actual systemic barriers and sexism is keeping out people, but we shouldn't really expect this whole equal outcomes in all these, these fields. So that is taking up so much time in society of these, these debates about, you know, sexism. And now we're seeing uh, the same sort of debates with, with racial groups and things like that. Um, and for, so that's, that's a denial of just behavioral difference for sexes. But then when you get to the denial of, of sex itself, um, you know, we get things like we're ad admitting male prisoners into female prison because they simply identify as, as, as female, which has implications because we know that males are just more aggressive. They're, they uh, participate in most of the, the sexual violence that you see in society towards, towards females. We see males competing in female sports. Uh, and that's just a complete disaster if, if we let people just self-identify into any sporting category we want to. I also think it could be damaging to uh, the LGB, you know, lesbian, gays, bisexuals, because their, their sexuality is rooted in the fact that they're same-sex attracted. And we're seeing a push now to describe them, uh, you know, being homosexual as being attracted to the same uh, gender identity. So you can actually be dating... Uh, you know, it, I, I could be considered uh, gay, for instance, if I 
were dating a female who just happened to identify as a as a as a male instead of a female and that's just fundamentally at odds with everything we know about human sexuality and i think that might risk sort of the the normalize the normalization that we've had of the lgbt community and you know if we're going to start miring it in this this weird um, ideology that people really can't get on board with. Uh, it's just, it's gonna make people reject a lot of the progress I think that these uh, these people have made. And then I think it also is damaging to children because we're teaching them that they can simply disidentify into any sex category. And a lot of what gender ideology does too, is it just, it defines what a boy or girl is or a man and woman by these sort of um, sex-related stereotypes of masculinity and femininity. And so I've, I see parents that contact me about, you know, their child seems to be confused about their, their biology or what their gender non-conforming behavior means about their sex. And they might want to go on puberty blockers or, uh, you know, there's just so many medical, uh, implications for these ideologies and confusing kids about what sex is. And, you know, I've always been of the opinion that we should just be clear about what sex somebody is, but say that, you know, your sex isn't going to be, doesn't determine your fate. You know, you can still be a masculine female and you can be a feminine male and we should just expand our notion of what it means to be a man or a woman in, in that, you know, the sociological sense, um, not necessarily biological sense. So that's sort of a list of things, I think, the harms of, of this ideology. Uh, so some of the points you're making creates. there. Do, do you think some of the issues here is the conflation of sex and gender? Because I feel like so often it's hard to know what someone is actually talking about, whether or not they're talking about sex or gender. And I myself, I've had these conversations and in the heat of the moment, I've misused the wrong one and realized my point was completely opposite of what I meant because I accidentally said gender instead of sex. Do you, do you yeah. think there's a big conflation there? And, and do you acknowledge that there is a difference there? Would you say gender is a social construct and sex is something that is more like a foundational truth that we've now acknowledged through science? Yeah, I think the word gender is one of the most uh, misused or confusing terms we're using now because there's many different ways people use the term. If you like people on the right tend to just equate sex and gender, you're like, what gender are you? Like, I'm a male. Um, and, but the, then there's other ways that people use gender. Sometimes people use gender to refer to just these sex-related differences in behaviors and preferences. Um, these are gender differences. Some people refer to gender as these sort of uh, societal roles and expectations that are placed on individuals uh, based on their perceived sex. So that's sort of a radical feminist view of, of what gender is that um, the, you know, we, it's a performance in a sense that's if, and, and I think there's a lot of truth to this aspect too. So for instance, you know, I remember growing up in, in, um, in school uh, in grade school, and if you behaved, you know, as a guy, if you sort of behaved really, uh, feminine in any way, you know, you'd get bullies that are saying, you know, what are you a girl? Or they'd call you, um, you know, call you gay or something like that. Yeah. And so that's sort of a policing of gender norms, gender type behavior. And so in a way there is like that social construction of gender, if you define it in that way, where there are like these societal expectations that people place uh, on individuals based on their sex. Um, and then there's sort of the, what I see is like the gender ideology now that's based in like the critical theory. Uh, that is really just basing it as just your your identity. It's your gender identity. 
and it's really related to just these mass uh, uh, traditional masculinity or femininity like these types of behaviors so it's important to know what people are how they're using the term because you'll see people on the right and left talking past each other because uh, you know conservatives are going to just equate sex and gender where people on the left they're going to separate them except when they don't you know it used to be the thing uh, among my friends on on the left um, I'm just going to use right and left even though they're imperfect because it's just totally it's, it's easy uh, where before I remember when people started talking about trans issues and it was always the fact that you know sex is biology and gender is your identity and you can be a male but you can identify the other way and you know that sort of made some sense to me and I, I didn't really object to that very much because it was it was keeping things separate you know one's sort of the hardware and one's sort of the software that runs on top of that even though there is some some dualism uh, uh, things there about you know can you have a male brain and a female body but we can at least acknowledge that maybe some people feel that way and that's that's okay um, and then that started that that line started to become blurred over time where it wasn't now they were identifying not just as a man or woman whereas sex was referred to as male or female but now people were starting to identify as a male or female and that's sort of when my eyebrows perked up because I was like oh you're not using man and woman which had previously been the gender terms now they're now they're identifying with sex terms and then now you see in a lot of textbooks a lot of people who write about this they'll just use sex and gender interchangeably although they'll start out talking about gender and then they'll just immediately be clearly talking about biological sex or the other way around they'll talk about sex and they'll talk about gender identity and it's i mean it's hard to not think that this, there's this, this purposeful conflation of these yeah. um in order to just sort of arrive at any conclusion that they really want to do and and cause as much confusion as possible among people about whether or not sex is this actual real thing um and that's where we are now i think we're just in the in the trenches on this and we have this this complete conflation of sex and gender um and we see with you know carol hooven who just wrote her book t the story of testosterone you know, she had been on Fox and she just talked about how there's, you know, there's two different sexes and, you know, this is, you know, intersex isn't this, uh, this third sex. And then she got called out by the diversity, equity and inclusion uh, officer that was just saying that how, how completely transphobic this was. And then that she immediately started talking about how, you know, gender, different types of identities. And it's like, okay, now, well, she's talking about gender identity. She, Carol Hooven was talking about sex. And, you know, they just, they don't conflate these. It's just, just or, or they do conflate these. They don't, they don't separate them. And it's just causing so much confusion. And that's, that's mostly what I do now is just try to keep that border in between these. Like there needs to be a partition there because when you destroy that, that's when I see is just the overflow of insanity. And I don't know how we would stop, uh, you know, this, this from, from taking over. Yeah, that uh, seems to be so much of the controversy in some ways of what I'm seeing is, you have this situation where you have certain activists or what we might call more radical or extreme type people who go to university or who go every day after work to workshops and stuff where they learn really minute language or ways to kind of manipulate the language and, and not necessarily in a negative way. It, it might be good intentioned, but they're literally, you know, kind of taking this postmodern deconstruction to like break apart everything down into its constituent parts and like learn how to really understand what we're talking about. And then you have other people who are 
maybe on the right, let's say, who just have colloquial understandings, who just use common vernacular, who are speaking about these things just in normal terms. And then you have these two groups coming together and one's coming from this very like academic, very narrowly defined thing that they've learned in their little niche and their little circle. And it doesn't really relate to the pragmatic or like heuristic that most people have in their lived experience. For a lot of people, like they don't know that what they're talking about with these people is not the same as their very like carefully constructed definition that was created, you know, at that in the ivory tower of academia. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense to you? I just, I see that issue a lot where it's like people aren't starting with the same definitions at all. Yeah. When I talk to conservatives, people on the right more, and even not even just people who are not completely woke, I would actually just say, uh, they can clearly see what male and female are and they're that's how they talk about the world like we we know that um you know if you have certain types of reproductive anatomy that makes you a male or female and then what we we're getting from a lot of the purely academic gender theory queer theory type stuff it's just they're not even starting from basic observations in nature they're they're starting from a place of uh in academia from a place of theory and they're sort of projecting that pure, I guess, thought, the pure theoretical realm. And they're, they're just trying to fit reality into that rather than sitting back and sort of making a basic observation and then starting from there. Uh, you know, because humanity, I mean, when we were cavemen, we clearly knew what male and female were. This isn't like a, a new thing. I mean, I've seen these activists say so much as, uh, we didn't even know what biological sex was until you know colonialists came over and and uh, or certain you know Native Americans didn't know what these these things were until the white man came over and you know had these certain roles and that's all of a sudden they knew what sex was. That's just I mean it's insane to think that people didn't have an, an idea or like this good working idea of what male and female were until just, you know, white colonizers came over and, and started sorting people into these boxes. I mean, you see just in ancient societies that have, that are drawing art, like they clearly have like these male and female depictions of these figures. Um, And so, yeah, so I would say this, the split I see is the observational people, and those are the the non-woke people, then you have the the critical theorists, academics who are, are sort of projecting their theories and trying to, to breathe life into them where, where they really don't have any, any basis in reality. Or if they do, they have to sort of a nugget of truth and then it just gets expanded, um, you know, past a bursting at the seams. So that's, sure. that's sort of how I see it. So, I mean, there's obviously some good intentions there, but I do, you know, but there is, I think it's pretty hard to deny that you see between chromosomes chromosomes and gametes you know and and from through nature like pistils and stamens and like just throughout nature we see this very defined line between what would be two sexes but there are ish, uh, instances where something falls outside of that clear cut delineation what do you think we do as a society you know with those good intentions what can we do as a society to you know, make space for people who don't fit biologically in, in one of those categories without also 
throwing out science or using it as like, um, you know, a, you know, a politicized weapon. Yeah. I mean, I think we do need to try to acknowledge the fact that some people uh, could be quite sexually ambiguous. Um, most of the conditions that a lot of activists try to shove into the intersex uh, definition aren't really intersex in like a clinically relevant sense. I mean, they'll try to put in like the XXY, like Klinefelter uh, syndrome people in there who are clearly, you know, 100% male. They just have, you know, an extra, I can't, I can't remember if it's extra X or an extra Y chromosome. It's one of those. Uh, but a lot of these are actually just variations within males and females are not actually sort of this intermediate between them, even though maybe some of their secondary sexual characteristics like breasts, like some, some males might just have more breast development because they have like another X chromosome that's sort of giving them some more secondary sex characteristics, even though primarily they still have, you know, penis and testes and fully they can father children and all that type of stuff. Um, but there may be some cases where individuals are truly sexually ambiguous or it's just really not completely clear cut. And you know, this has been estimated to be about 0.02% of the population or about one in 5,000. Um, but you know, it, there's a lot of people in the world. And so when you take 0.02% of any large number, it's gonna be a large number of people. And yeah, we need to be sympathetic to them. We need to understand that they, you know, we can't just ignore them in society. Uh, we should have strict criteria of, you know, what can, what matters or what, what we want to consider a female for sports or for putting in, in what prison they go to, but we should make those criteria, you know, we should lay them out and in, in a legal sense um, of, of what we're, how we're going to classify these individuals legally. Um, so there's that legal side that we need to take care of. Uh, but then there's like the biological side also, which is, you know, maybe these individuals aren't quite male or female. Maybe they could be classified as one or the other legally for certain reasons. Um, and these are sort of the conversations we need to have is the legal versus the, the, the biological reality and when accommodations should be made, when they shouldn't. Uh, but ultimately we need to treat people as individuals. As, as I've said before, you know, even though an individual might not be 100% male or female, like they're still 100% human and they are deserving of 100% of all human rights. And uh, we, didn't, we need to be able to have like the nuanced debate about what types of, of, of things they, they should be able to do and what spaces they, they should be legally allowed to be in. Um, and I, I just don't think that's a conversation we're really having. It's just sort of morphed into just let people identify any way they want to. And that's clearly not gonna work because again, only one out of 5,000 people or even up for a conversation about like how does this individual be classified for 4,999 people. It's just unambiguous uh, that they're either male or female. So um, yeah, I mean, we need, to, we need to recognize intersex individuals. I think both sides, even people on who largely agree with me, I think they make a mistake of saying that, you know, everyone is either male or female. I'm not sure if that's completely true. <laughs> I think maybe we do need to acknowledge there, there could be people that are sexually ambiguous uh, out there and, and that it's important to, to try to find out what, what we do with these individuals in like a legal sense and what rights they have um, in certain spaces. Yeah, um, how, do we, how do we handle the, 
that cultural side of things though with the gender like beyond so that if with the sex stuff it does feel pretty clear right but what do we do when it does become a situation where gender does make room for bad actors you're gonna have people in society who take advantage of the fact that they can just say with their words i am this thing and then they can gain entry into a bathroom or into a sport or into a jail or into a you know part of society where we usually would not allow it because of potential issues and now we have this this little tool that we're not allowed to really talk about because of how sensitive it is but it does make a lot of space for bad actors like well, how do you think we navigate that that need for like really having safety and like some sense of organization around these things but also not just completely shutting out people who don't fit so easily into the boxes yeah I, I think it comes down to just difference like, you know there, there's laws and what we do for people who you know are, are gender dysphoric and then there's sort of the social side of things uh, I'm, I'm not sure if we really need to in, in, ingrain in our laws uh, anything about gender identity. I mean, this is there's all kinds of other identities that we have. We have political identities and religious identities, and for, you know there are some religious exemptions for things. And uh, I'm as an atheist, I'm I'm largely opposed to to a lot of them. I mean, there could be some more reasonable things uh, and laws based on those types of identities. But I really don't see where gender identity, why it needs like a special protection in any way. Um, I think there should be some social accommodation be made, but I think this is really best done just on an interpersonal level. I mean, I've always said, you know, I'm more than happy to use people's preferred pronouns, you know, within reason. I'm not going to do like the Z and the Zims and the Zers and those things. Cause I think it's just, I think, I mean, it just kind of gets ridiculous and non-binary is to me is a whole different can of worms than, you know, just someone who identifies as the opposite sex or has that type of gender dysphoria. Um, but I'm, I'm happy to use people's preferred pronouns in social situations. I'm more than happy to, you know, accept them as the gender that they're trying their best to present as because gender dysphoria is a real psychological condition. I don't want people to feel more gender dysphoria. I'm not going to insist in calling a trans woman a man or a male or using their male name that they've been born with. I think that's just cruel to do and I, I would never want to do it. And I wouldn't really support anyone in doing that to someone publicly in a social setting either. Um, so there's like that social accommodation that I think that I think most people are actually on board with that. I mean, even some right-wing pundits like Ben Shapiro, I mean, in, in social situations, he'll use people's you know, preferred pronouns uh, it, unless he's doing like a certain type of debate where like that's the object of being, he's, he's talking about sex and gender and he wants to make it clear that, you know, he's, he's referring to this individual sex or something. But I think most people are on board with the social accommodation aspect. I just don't know why it needs to be put into, in, into law saying that if you identify as this, now you get all the benefits and privileges that are associated with this just because, just because you identify that way. To me, that seems just really, really silly. And it's just, um, it's, it's codifying what's, what's essentially, you know, and this is, people take this as pejorative, but it's, it's, it's a delusion that they have about what they are, if they're male or female. And I just don't think we need to be sort of accepting people's delusions and putting them into law. Uh, and I say that in the most, you know, um, 
non-angry or, or transphobic way possible. But uh, it's I just think we need to have adults in the room who are able to say, you know, like socially we'll accept you this way. But when you're trying to just put it into law, like that's that's stepping over a really important boundary uh, because we need to acknowledge um, male and female in, in law. What do you think is driving all of this? Like, why why now is this such a big issue? Because I feel like throughout history, we've had, you know, we've had people who were, uh, you know, transvestites or um, we've had drag queens and we've had people who didn't, you know, fit into these boxes very clearly and very obviously. And it it, it wasn't an issue. No one talked about bathrooms. No one talked about sports, really. Like, it wasn't a thing. Why now is this such a massive issue that is just like a... a you know, a powder keg to even talk about? I think a lot of it has to do with the, the victories that the, the gay community has taken over with the, you know, with gay rights, um, gay marriage, that type of thing, which I've fully supported. Uh, there were a lot of really big organizations who made, uh, had a lot of donors who put a lot of money into getting gay marriage um, become the law of the land. And that was, that was, that was successful. They did that. But once you achieve that goal, you have these same organizations. Now, instead of being totally goal oriented, because that was like their, their main goal. Now they're just sort of in a, in a position where they just need to survive now. Like they, they're not just going to say like, well, you know, close the doors. We've achieved our goal time to go home and hang up our hats. Like, well, there's still this organization, they're getting hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in donations. And you can see in a lot of these organizations how, uh, I can't remember the year that it was where um, gay marriage was legalized, but there's this, this flip from, you know, gay and lesbian marriage, things like that. If you look at just the, the words they're using in their promotional um, uh, emails and, and articles they're writing, it really just flipped from like gay rights to just like all trans type related stuff. So they're just funneling so much money <laughs> into this, this single issue because they have the infrastructure to do it. And so that's why we're seeing what is essentially, uh, you know, what 0.5% what of the population is now getting almost all the funding that we had for these organizations, these billion dollar organizations. And this is accompanied with the fact that there's sort of now a shift in what gender dysphoria means, where before it was this medicalized term, which was just like this um, really extreme anxiety and discomfort because you psychologically just like feel you've been born in the wrong body. Uh, you know, the Buck Angels of the world or the Blair Whites, like these people from a very young age, they just, this is how they felt and it didn't go away during puberty and after. And so they went to seek transition for this because it's just, they wanted to make their body more in line with how they just felt and this this helped them with their dysphoria. Um, you know, this, the dysphoria never maybe completely goes away, but it can largely, you can live your life a lot better. Um, and that had been sort of what uh, gender dysphoria had been. That's what a trans person was. But now there's this ideological shift. And so now it's in the terminology they use is they don't identify with the gender assigned to them at birth. And then when you ask them about what they mean by gender, um, you can go around the circles with them about this, but it boils down to like, they're basically just identifying with these sex-related stereotypes of masculinity and, and femininity. This is what the non-binary people are. I think they exemplify this ideological shift 
because they just don't identify with males or females. When you see them, they're they by and large dress just sort of androgynously. They claim that, uh, and kids also, I mean, if I've had uh, kids tell their parents and parents tell me about their children saying like, they think they're non-binary because, you know, they're maybe female, but they're kind of tomboyish, but they still yeah. kind of like to wear dresses sometimes. And so they're, they're clearly disidentifying with these stereotypes. And that really wasn't the case before, because, you know, if we're going to say that gender dysphoria has to do with whether or not you identify with stereotypes, you know, we're all non-binary to some degree. If you're a male and you, you're not like behaving or identifying with Randy Macho Man Savage. Got long hair. <laughs> exactly. You have long hair. Uh, it, it, we're all non-binary. I have very, like some feminine qualities that, that, that I have as well. And then I also go to the gym and I like to lift weights a lot. And I was doing powerlifting before. So we're all sort of this mix of masculinity and femininity on these various axes. But that doesn't mean we're non-binary. It just, again, we need to expand what is like acceptable proved behavior for males and females and not just assume that if you're gender non-conforming, that means you're trans. Um, because that's that opens up the door. You know, it's not simply just, you know, that's how you identify and that's it. We're actually medicalizing. We're using the old solution for gender dysphoria for the Buck Angels and the Blair Whites of the world, which was, you know, hormonal interventions and surgical transition. We're now applying those same those same medical interventions to this new cohort of people who don't even resemble those types of trans individuals. We're not supposed to medically intervene on people who are just gender non-conforming, who don't identify with stereotypes. That's insane. But that's what we're, in a sense, doing. And you get a lot of sort of the medical community saying we need to just go affirmative care only. We can't even question their gender identities or see what may have given rise to their discomfort or any of these things. It's just become a complete mess. So, so, so is um, that a con yeah. is that a concern where that new cohort you're talking about? Like one thing that I guess concerns me, like honestly about this, and where I really find my deepest like worry is if you have something that culturally tells people that it gains you like power, prestige, and like fame, really, you know, by by virtue signaling and talking about these things, and then you show that to kids who are very much trying to find their place in the world you do kind of push them to uh, want to adopt and experiment with those things before they really know what they're doing. And then you end up in the situation where they start taking the puberty blockers. They start doing all the transitioning. Like, and I don't want to say it's not authentic. I think everyone has room to experiment, but it does seem really dangerous to me that you could have kids who kind of get peer pressured, I guess, into adopting a thing that really isn't who they are they don't really have gender dysmorphia they aren't really like struggling with this they just see that this is something that culture will accept them for or like them for more and then they go down this really long path and then maybe they regret it maybe they don't but i mean is that a concern for you i mean i feel like that's one of the bigger issues that we we're dealing with here yeah. is there is this sort of exaltation of the victim that we have right now and it's interesting because being trans or identifying as non-binary, these are what this is like the only oppressed group that you can just self-identify into, and no one can tell you you're not that thing. Um, and so this is, I think we get a lot of people now who are identifying gender as you know as it relates to stereotypes. They're finding out that they don't really conform to these these traditional stereotypes. And then there's all the incentives in the world for them to 
want to sort of self-identify into these these victim groups because it, it does give them this, this social uh, cachet. And the common story you hear of people when they come out as trans is like their friends and family, everyone at school, it's this big celebration. It's just, you know, confetti and glitter the whole time. And it's like how, you know, this is so wonderful. You came out, you know, no one ever is celebrated for just, you know, coming out as like just some cis person who's just, you know, like, no, I'm actually comfortable in my own body. Like no one celebrates that. Uh, it's just, and then, and then for the detransitioners when they decide that actually they don't identify with, you know, the, the opposite sex anymore, they're largely just ignored. And if anything, they're, they're just an inconvenient truth that they, they try to shove under the rug. And so all of the incentives, both societal for the victimhood culture is making people be more likely to identify into these groups. And then uh, in a social sense too, all their friends and family, we have like the social approval of people coming out into these. And so I just, I think that that is uh, driving at least a lot of, a lot of this on top of just the confusion of people being confused about what their behaviors and preferences yeah. mean about their, their sex and whether or not they're, that means that they're, they're transgender. With your roots in atheism, do you think that religion plays a part in this at all? Cause I mean, the left, I feel like are probably predominantly atheist or agnostic and for that to also be the group that has kind of you know, what many would call this new religion of wokeism. Um, it's, it's hard not to wonder if there's some like, uh, you know, religious urge that isn't being met elsewhere and is then, then channeled instead into this new ideology. Is that something that you feel has any value or uh, makes sense to you? It really does. I, 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 over the last couple of years, I've become more and more uh, sympathetic to that whole, like, that vacuum hypothesis, you know, people don't have this, these religious ideas, which gives some people a lot of meaning, this creates these uh, good communities they have that give meaning to their lives, gives them sort of a story arc. You know, I never found that I needed that, you know, I didn't, didn't need a religion to give my life its own sort of, you know, inherent meaning, and I can, I've been able to create my own story arc and everything. But I think on an individual level, some people are able to do that. But I think on a population level, uh, I think people sort of do need that type of communities and these meaning-making structures. And I, I do think a lot of this trans stuff has sort of just fit right into that that missing puzzle piece that have that gives them meaning, gives them a cause. Uh, I think there's a lot to that, and I, you know, it can be. It's not all just the gender stuff. I think the, the racial stuff too. You see, there's sort of like a lot of religious symbolism being used, and we even saw people like washing the feet of, of, of you know, people of color <laughs> after like the George Floyd protests and things. And there is just, I think, this really lack of of meaning people have in their lives. I think that's probably why Jordan Peterson got so popular before because he spoke to this, this sort of lack of meaning, that especially among, I think, young men, is was his main target audience. Uh, I think there's a big thing to that. I, I see a lot of the old atheist communities I used to follow a lot, like uh, the atheist community of Austin, Matt Dillahunty. He blocked me on Twitter just for disagreeing with him about J.K. Rowling on something. I just mildly pushed back, and he's someone I had admired for a long time. And just to have him block me and thinks I'm a complete transphobe now. And, you know, he, he's actually one of the people I thought he would have been one of the last people to fall uh, to this, this sort of the woke ideology. I mean, that trajectory 
it's really crazy to watch happen. Um, and I've seen, I've had a couple of my friends in real life sort of follow that same trajectory as well. They're all just incredibly woke right now. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, I, I do think it is sort of a, like a religious awakening in a way. And because I had always been sort of close to these individuals, I had um, been at least ideologically close if in some of the friends I've had have been, you know, with, uh, socially and has been really good friends. They almost push back even harder against me because I'm sort of like the threat from within. Like I'm the person who agrees with them on most things. And now I'm sort of this heretic, like, you know, they can ignore the people who are, you know, the religious conservatives and evangelicals, like they're already lost. They don't need to be denounced. Uh, so they almost attack those close to them even harder. And I've been seeing that a lot with, you know, a lot of my personal friends and a lot of people just on, on social media too, that I had used to respect uh, greatly on this. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's been a wild couple of years. How much, I guess, percentage wise, do you think when you look at these groups, let's say people who are social justice warriors or people who are really taking this trans fight to a place where they want laws to change and they're, they're canceling people and they're, you know, attacking people and really hostile, like, do you, do you think that it, this is actually just a very loud, very small minority who are hijacking the good intentions of other people and, and, and we're getting lost in that noise? Or do you actually think it's a pretty substantial amount? I think there was some, I can't remember the name of the website where they had a pretty thorough questionnaire that would place you into these different boxes. And I think based on their criteria and, and people, you know, there's issues with every survey question, but it seemed to suggest that like maybe 8% of people were these, you know, the social justice activist type, or at least fall into that box. Um, and I think, I mean, that that sounds about right, I suppose, of the, like the actual people who are out there um, angry, who fully believe in the ideology. And then, I mean, I know these people too. I think there's uh, the, you know, go expand one circle out. Then there's these groups of individuals who aren't really paying that close of attention, maybe a little bit. They probably don't believe some of the greater excesses of the ideology. Like they probably don't understand that they're actually denying biological sex. They probably still maintain that, oh, they're just talking about gender. Cause I still get that when I write my articles about people who are denying sex, they'll criticize me and say like, oh, well, no, they're just talking about gender. And I'm just like, I promise you they're not like, but I, you're about, you know, six, five, six years behind the, the wave right now, but you, they need to, they haven't updated their their operating system yet yeah. um and you get those and they just i mean I, I mean it is hard to believe that people could be denying biological sex and so they think that i just must be misinterpreting something but they do kind of give that warm blanket to that eight percent um i'm not sure what percent of these you know people giving the warm blanket are but it's it's not insignificant and it, it's it's quite large um, because they basically won't stand in the way of those 8%. And if anything, they'll just help grease the wheels because they don't want to be seen as on the wrong side of history or because, you know, they're, they're afraid to get canceled. And then you have that other group that do think it's crazy, but they just keeping their heads down because they don't want to get canceled, which is, I mean, I would say I, I probably did that for a couple of years where I wasn't going to protest anything because I was on the job market in academia and it's extremely competitive. And all my colleagues were at least... If, if they agreed with me, it was hard to, to, to detect. And I just, you know, it was worth, it was in my best interest just to keep my head down and, and not make any waves. And so you get those people too. So 
they're essentially uh, you can't tell the difference between them and the the warm blanket folks because you know if you're, if you're being if you're being quiet you're just you're basically just letting yourself be run by the that eight percent extreme right so I think it's all being said yeah the extreme individuals are maybe somewhere around eight percent but the problem is greater than that because you get they have a lot of enablers whether they're ignorant or just um, too afraid to say anything so and what's the trajectory that this takes us on like where do you think this is, is going I mean one do you think that we are like I, I feel in some ways more and more people I'm talking to are kind of behind closed doors at least being like yeah I actually am a little bit more center and kind of agree with you but I just don't say it in public you know in the same way that you're talking about there but I still also see a lot of things that are happening with the media and just online that make me think I don't know this isn't I don't know if this is getting better or not. Like, do you think we're going in a good direction? And where do you think this goes five, 10 years down the line? I, I think we're going in a good direction, but I do think it's going to get worse before it gets better. I think a lot of it's, it's getting worse because they're getting people, more people are calling them out on their stuff. And so, you know, before when there was just a single individual who'd stand up and object, they could just call that person a, you know, a sexist transphobe or whatever, and they, they shut down, but you're getting a lot more people standing up now. And so there's a lot more people that are just rapidly calling everyone around them, transphobe, sexist, whatever, whatever it is. Um, so the, the heat is definitely getting turned up in terms of like the, the conflict that we have. And I think they're getting more rabid because they're getting more pushback that they're not used to having. Um, but that's, I mean, that's a good thing, I think, because this is how, you know, this is, hopefully the trajectory of how this ideology eventually crumbles. Cause before they just, they had free reign to just, you know, walk on over everyone. Um, now they're receiving resistance. And I think we're going to reach a point where, you know, they're pushing that we're finally have people pushing back. It's still, we're not moving the other direction yet, but at least the resistance is building to a point where I think maybe in the next five years that will be turning direction the other way. And um, I think once that happens, once we reach sort of this like tipping point where people are just like, I'm not afraid to be called a transphobe anymore because these people are insane. Uh, that's when you're, it's going to be just like this, this tipping point and, and more people are going to be like, oh, I'm, I don't feel afraid anymore of actually coming out and, and saying what I think about this and how crazy these ideologies are. And I think that's just, that's also the importance of people coming out and speaking up because you do make it easier for the next person to speak up when you do it. So um, it's yeah, it just needs to just sort of keep snowballing, I hope, uh, and eventually it'll it'll overturn. I don't know if it's going to be five or 10 years or 20. I have no idea. Um, but I, I just I don't think it can be maintained. It's just too separated from reality. And it's I mean, as I mentioned, like reality is, is something it's going to it snaps back. You know, you, it can't actually be stretched that far without like more and more consequences of its denial start to spring up everywhere and people are going to take notice. Um, so I think, I think it's going to get better. Um, but as I said, it's going to get a little worse first. Yeah. It's not going to be fun. <laughs> and you don't think it's going to be like, like I, I imagine when it gets better, we're going to see better treatment also of people who are trans or people who are genuinely not falling in those labels. Right. Like, do you think the do you think that as we push back more and as we kind of restore, I guess, rationality and, and 
real dialectic that we're also going to see more and more of that respect and empathy but and it's not going to just be so much like we're going to be more crass and crude and it's going to be like the right wins but it's like i do you feel like we both can win both sides can win where that respect and empathy is maintained without having to sacrifice science and truth yeah i mean i think it's i think it can um most of the people i know who are speaking out against this stuff i mean there's just no hatred whatsoever towards mm -hmm. trans people but uh there are people who are legitimately just actually transphobic and i do see those people um i i, I tweeted once about some trans woman who won some local powerlifting competition and i was just saying like you know this person was ranked really low as a male lifter they transitioned to become a female and now they're like winning championships like coincidence and uh joe rogan retweeted it and you know I like Joe Rogan, but he's got a lot of sort of meathead followers. And uh, there was just a lot of actual just terrible transphobia in the comments. And I was just like, you know, this is a real thing. Like, uh, I do worry about the backlash and not having the pendulum totally swing back the other way where it just turns into like a wrecking ball at that point and just makes the lives of trans people even worse uh, than it was before. Um, I'm not sure if, if that's like a, a an inevitable outcome i do think uh it can be um largely uh accepting of the group just because again most of the people who are serious commenters on this are are not transphobic in in the least um but it, i mean you're always going to have the story of the actual transphobic people and that's going to be hoisted in the news and so you're gonna you're gonna probably see an overrepresentation of that but I mean, I'll be the first one to speak out against those instances as well. You know, I'm 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 fully supportive of the, the trans community in in, um, in that sense. You know, uh, not the excesses of its ideology, but people who are generally ha genuinely have this this uh, gender dysphoria. Um, I think they need they need help and they need sympathy, and uh, I'll I'll try to help with that too if 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 it becomes a problem. So yeah, absolutely. And so to kind of wrap up here, how do you think that we do move forward? Like in a perfect world, what do you think are some of the best things that you could see happen right now in terms of the way the conversation is going or policies or anything at all? Like what, what would you really love to see just happen to help us get out of this chaos? I don't know if anything unique needs to happen. I think just sort of more of the same, more people just being bold and standing up going to your schools if you have sort of this gender ideology in your students classroom that's telling kids that their behavior is determining of their sex and it's causing confusion uh, about themselves and their relation to their bodies just to be a, a parent and just stand up go to the the meetings that you have the school board speak up as loud as you can try to educate yourself on the materials and know what's going on so you can do it as articulately as possible and as powerfully as possible. But we need more of those, you know, those videos to go viral of, of people making these bold stands because that's ultimately is going to get more people to speak up and embolden those. And that's, I think, what we need is just to continue this snowballing effect. Um, I think it can probably go faster and I, I think it is speeding up. Um, but yeah, just, just more of that, just more people not being afraid to be called a transphobe anymore because it's it's that fear is what's gonna uh make the the sort of ideology uh unable to to go away it's it's what's what's gonna be our ultimate defeat and it's gonna 
you know, destroy these these categories of male and female. So I, I think we just need a uh, we need to speak up. There you go. Colin, thanks so much for chatting with me. And before we go, is there anything that you want to point people towards that you're maybe working on right now? I know your website, we got the Quillette articles, like anything at all that you're excited about to, that you'd like to share? So I'm, I'm currently writing a book about this stuff that's hopefully going to just be a good um, primer on, you know, what is biological sex? How did it evolve? Why did it evolve? How we determine the sex of different organisms, what we have, all organisms that have identifiable male and females, what they all share and have in common. Um, and just to give people sort of this, this toolkit they have when they see the arguments out there that are denying male and female, that they have just a good sort of background to be able to respond to these type of things. I don't think it's gonna be an incredibly long book. It's, it's gonna be sort of getting to the point. Um, so that's, I'm excited to get that out. It's, a, it's definitely still in the process of being written. Um, in, a, in, a, in a big way, still in the trenches on there. But my substack is realitieslaststand.com. I have a lot of articles in there, which are basically going to be, are getting blown up into their own chapters within the book, but they're going to be more thorough. But those are some good articles on there that will help you respond to some, uh, some of the major claims that you'll see uh, being made from sort of the, the, the gender activists. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at swipe right. And that's W R I G H T my last name. Um, Instagram, I'm trying to get <laughs> more people to follow me on there. It's swipe right fitness on there. I'm trying to get swipe right from this account. That's no longer uh, active. Well, it's still active, but they're, they have, they have my handle, but they're, they haven't yeah. been active for years. I'm trying to get it over there, but we'll see if, if I'm successful there. Uh, other than that, I think that's, that's about it. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, again, I really want to thank you, Colin, for taking the time. This is an awesome conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. Cheers. Cheers.